For nearly 50 years, Patagonia has given a damn about people and the environment. And through that work, they've learned that knowledge is foundational, transcending physical space and knotting generations together. Knowledge invites change and forms the bedrock of communities. In a new series of stories, Patagonia brings us the voices of elders, young people, mentors, and teachers. Stories grounded in wild places and activism. Knowledge is a vessel to be shared, kept, evolved, and passed on. Find more at patagonia.com stories. You're listening to The Dirtback Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer, with additional support from Kuat Racks, Because You Love Your Bike, and Athletic Greens, the daily drink for a healthier you. I had camped before, but never alone. So naturally, I made plans to go big for my first solo adventure. I was a budding outdoors woman, filled with wonderlust and a big imagination, ready to push my edge. While my alter ego was a nomadic dirtbag, whimsically roaming between mountaintops, reality looked more like a cubicle-bound type A data analyst in the infancy of outdoor experiences. My wilderness resume was light, one Knowles program, some trail races, and too many visits to REI. This solo trip represented an opportunity to finally step into the person I wanted to become. With three weeks between jobs and a suitcase bulging with outdoor gear, I boarded a plane from Texas to Washington, intending to use every second to explore the Northwest. First destination, Olympic National Park. In my everyday life, I am a planner, but for this vacation, I chose to skip that part on account of being a bit naive and wanting to embody that carefree, outdoorsy vibe. I stopped in the uncrowded visitor center at the National Park entrance. It was early in the season, so a still bright-eyed ranger diligently mapped out a week-long itinerary, beginning with alpine car camping at Deer Park Campground. Before reaching my first campsite, I was ready to call the whole thing off. The drive-in proved nearly too much for this inexperienced mountain noob. With its sinister turns and fateful drop-offs, the road had me begging to turn around, but was too narrow to grant such empathy. Thankfully, mountains make me feel bigger than I am. So as soon as I arrived at the campground, the fearful drive was already a distant memory. I took off exploring the expansive trail network on top of the world. I caught up with two local women who I quickly sized up to be my idols. They had left their kids and husbands behind for a long girls' weekend of hiking in their backyard. Pro enough to carry wine and hydration bladders, they obviously weren't first-timers. We perched atop a summit marker to watch the sun fall low. The water in my Nalgene turned to wine as pink and orange smeared across the sky. What are your plans while you are in Olympic? the teacher asked. I rattled off what I could remember from my earlier conversation with the ranger. But I'm not attached to anything in particular, I quickly added, excited to learn if my new friends had better ideas. Oh, you must do the Seven Lakes Basin, the dental hygienist insisted. She went on to tell me with great animation how the 19-mile trail 
winds through rainforest and rivers, climbs alpine meadows, and traverses an exposed ridgeline with grand views of Mount Olympus and the Ho River Valley. Any lingering hesitation I had was replaced with total stoke when I heard, one of the lakes is even shaped like a heart. Although Seven Lakes Basin is commonly completed as a backpacking loop, they assured me I could do it as a day hike since I wasn't comfortable backpacking yet. But I was a marathon runner with the luxury of summer's extended light. The combination of altitude and wine had me flush with confidence. I had to do this hike. I had to do it tomorrow. My alarm was set for first light, but unaccustomed to nights outside, I had just managed to fall asleep when the buzzer sounded. I turned it off and went back to bed. I was on vacation and aspiring dirtbags don't keep schedules. I eventually rose at a respectable 8 a.m. The tent was packed and the car in drive by nine. Ugh, that road again. Self-loathing resumed for the next hour until I safely exited onto the highway where mathematical gymnastics became the new preoccupation. There was still another hour of driving before the trailhead. I calculated I could easily maintain a hiking pace of two miles per hour meaning I would need nine and a half hours to complete the circuit. My fingers counted out against the steering wheel. 8.30 p.m. I would finish half an hour before sunset. I was golden. Making the most of this spare time, I indulged in a stop at the world's cutest coffee stand in a photo op at the breathtaking Crescent Lake. I finally pulled into the Seoul Duke Trailhead a few minutes past 11.30, with just enough experience to know setting out midday on a 19-mile hike with 4,000 feet of elevation gain in an unfamiliar place was a bad idea. But FOMO, the fear of missing out, is so seductive. Besides, there was still a few minutes to be squeezed out I hadn't accounted for the post-sunset glow, and I could always run downhills if needed. For no reason, except a propensity for poor decision-making, I absolutely could not wait until the next day for a proper start. Hastily, I threw a day pack together. One liter of water, a cliff bar, trail mix, a lightweight jacket, cell phone, car keys, and I was off. Something about the trailhead sign made me pause as I decided between a clockwise or counterclockwise route. The bold white lettering of destination possibilities and their distance in miles gave birth to an idea. Hmm, a map might be a nice thing to have. Of course I didn't have a map. I hadn't even considered the need for one until this very moment. The mental calculator started up again. A three minute walk back to the car a 10-minute drive to the ranger station, 15 minutes lost in pleasantries with a ranger who would undoubtedly question my poor judgment. Procuring a map would waste another hour I did not have. Plus, navigation wasn't really my strong suit, so I probably wouldn't be able to make much sense of it anyways. I forged ahead.
The rhythmic motion of walking slowed my thoughts enough to remember all the things I had forgotten to pack. But the worries were as fleeting as the water now cascading all around me. Teleported into a world of fairy tales, I was spellbound, and so was my camera. Ferns and fronds, stepping stones hatted in moss, quaint wooden bridges, violent waterfalls, towering pines. My camera and I wandered upstream and off the beaten path, capturing the magic from all its best angles. The trail began to ascend gradually at first, then sharply. The scene faded from Fern Gully to the sound of music, twirling among alpine meadows with trickling streams and delicate flowers. I was in my version of heaven. The photo shoot continued, slowing progress and draining my battery. But I seemed to have lost all self-control. Then, just as the potential consequences of my untimeliness began to gnaw, the Heart Lake appeared. I trotted off the treeless ridge down the grassy slopes to the water's edge for a toe dip in another snapshot. Fortunately, the snowmelt waters made for a short detour. I was back on track soon enough. A backpacking couple approached from the opposite direction. I decided to inquire about my progress. Just another few minutes and you will be at the halfway point, the woman exclaimed enthusiastically. And then it's all downhill from there. It probably would have been better had she been less encouraging. I wished the happy hikers well and made a final push to the crest. Sure enough, I started to descend. At this point, the relationship between myself, trail, and camera had become predictable. Another lake emerged. Obscured by trees, I could only catch stolen glimpses of its magnificence in otherworldly blue. But with the last 1% of my phone battery, I had to capture the hidden lake peeking between pines. I tried to take a second photo, but my phone powered off. What good was my phone anyways? There was no cell service. The map only registered that I was in the middle of a green blob. The storage was maxed with pictures, and the flashlight function wouldn't be necessary. I was still pacing to be back before dark. Now fully present. I raced down the steep slope as if a magnet were drawing me into the glacial blue. To my unwarranted disappointment, I found a tent and scattered camping gear occupying the shore. I hadn't shared scenery all day and wasn't thrilled about starting now. A quick scan of the landscape identified the owners and the horror. They were naked. Don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. I scurried on. Just when I was far enough out of sight to feel comfortable again, the trail came to a T. To my right were designated backcountry sites, an obvious dead end. To my left was a sign for the Ho River Trail. This was a problem. Even without a map, I was absolutely certain the Ho River was the wrong way. I darted back and forth between the two options, scouting for a hidden third possibility. Ultimately, there was only one choice. I had to be brave. Sheepishly, I went up to the young man emerging from apparently frigid waters. His girlfriend was further up shore, beyond earshot. Excuse me, I seem to be lost. I was wondering if you could help. My embarrassment was met in equal force by his lack thereof. Of course, he exclaimed. If only he had added, let me put some clothes on first. 
my fate might have been different. But the obliging stranger pulled only a map out of his pack. He unfolded the oversized paper and gave it a firm shake, smoothing the wrinkles. Then, positioning himself in a comfortable stance, he held the map before us. Arms outstretched, legs spread just beyond hip width, in a slight lunge, and a brandish display of his very cold manhood. I tried to concentrate as this nice nudist politely oriented me to our current location, but it was impossible to hear beyond my own highly mature screaming thoughts. Oh my God, he's naked. Don't look. Ah, I looked. Oh no, I looked again. Do you think he saw me? No, he's still on the map. What did he say? Oh, that water must be so cold. Why doesn't he put clothes on? Ah, this is so embarrassing. My head bobbed up and down futilely, eyes darting between topo lines and private parts. So you got it, he asked? Yep, I confirmed with enough assertiveness to be convincing. I thanked him generously and waved an overcompensated goodbye, knowing I was worse off than before our encounter. My mind had succumbed to the muddles of anxiety, having wasted my only lifeline. With a stomach as knotted as my headspace, I walked back to the tea. Nothing had changed. My options remained a dead-end campsite or the definitely wrong Ho River Trail. I opted for the path to the Ho. Down, down, down I went, the sun traveling with me. It's all downhill from here, I sang out loud, as if moving in the correct vertical plane was the only direction of merit. After a long day of intensive elevation gain, I pretended to celebrate the physical relief of having gravity in my favor. This went on for five whole miles. I know it was five miles because a trail marker eventually told me. The sign also compassionately offered three options. Option one, Mount Olympus Base Camp, six and a half miles to my left. Pro, the possibility of a shelter. Con, further into the park's interior. Decision, nope. Option two, Ho River Trailhead, 10 miles to my right. Pro, presumably flat. Cars at the trailhead, if not tonight, then tomorrow. Maybe I could hitch a ride back to my car. Con, my car was 70 miles from that trailhead. I know this because had the day unfolded as planned, I would be driving to this very spot tomorrow. After serious consideration, I decided no again. Option three, Ho Lake, five miles behind me. Pro, I knew the way. I had just walked it. The naked couple would probably still be there. Con, a dreaded uphill slog. I shoveled the last bit of trail mix into my mouth, washed it down with precious sips of rationed water, and then ran. I ran to outpace the impending night, to stay warm, and to escape my all-consuming fears of hypothermia, dehydration, hunger, aloneness, and being lost. I ran because I was furious with myself for being so stupid, so careless. Eyes adjusting to the darkness, the outlines of trees guided me upwards, while my roller coaster of emotions bounced between heightened fear and debilitating exhaustion. The nature gods eventually gave in to my plea bargains. Finally, the nighttime shapes widened into a clearing, and I paused in relief. There were two headlamps in the distance. 
Hey guys! I hollered in uncontained excitement. With exaggerated cheer, I quickly added, Surprise! I'm back! Hoping cheekiness might disguise desperation. So, I was wondering if I could camp with you tonight. Totally, they answered in unison, no hesitation. Great, but um, by camp, I mean, well, could I like sleep with you in your tent? The couple, who it's worth noting, was now clothed, exchanged glances, silently assessing the other's thoughts. It will be a bit tight, the girl responded with some reservation, but that's fine. Y'all are such lifesavers. I am a little embarrassed to ask, and I don't want to put you out. But would you maybe have some extra food? Then I decided to just lay it all out there. And perhaps some water too? And you wouldn't happen to have any extra clothes, would you? The now 40 degree temperatures were too cold for my sweaty summertime attire. The formerly naked couple, who was not a couple at all, but rather classmates, probably hoping to move out of the friend zone before a third wheel arrived, had me beat in provisions, preparedness, and generosity. They treated me to freshly caught trout, purified lake water, and ironically enough, a whole new wardrobe. As my guardian angel, the man carried a spare set of Carhartt workwear into the backcountry. The heavy-duty clothing weighed almost as much as I did and was equally comforting as it was warm. They zipped their sleeping bags together to make one large comforter to stretch the width of our three bodies. We climbed into the sardine tent, the sort of couple close to one another on pads, me an inch below on the ground. I considered asking if I could spoon with them, but decided to preserve my last shred of dignity. Well, my endorphins spared me no such thing. Still in overdrive from the intense afternoon, nausea roused. I tried to dismiss it as a psychosomatic symptom of earlier fear, but no, this was the real deal vomit kind. I made it out of the tent barely in time. As if my day had not been mortifying enough, yep, I yacked, and then snuggled back up next to my new friends. I didn't sleep at all that night, and morning didn't bring much relief either. I just wanted to be back at my car as soon as possible, but I still had no idea where I was. I was at the mercy of the Good Samaritans, who seemed in no hurry to leave. I tried to disguise my restlessness with an Oscar-winning performance of the laid-back backpacker. I casually helped pack up camp, filter and fill water bladders, and cook and clean dishes while chatting idly at the shores of Ho Lake, carefully steering the conversation away from any mention of the day before. Eventually, I was chaperoned out and my fatal flaw was discovered. I had taken a side trail two miles off the main loop. Even after I had my bearings, my new friends were reluctant to let me hike alone. But with some convincing, a round of goodbye hugs and a commemorative photo, we parted ways. I finished the last 10 miles just as I had began, alone with an empty day pack. 
The remaining three weeks of camping unfolded without incident. The trip proved more pivotal than I could have dreamed. I devoted the next eight years to becoming more self-sufficient in the wilderness and have since traveled around the U.S. and the globe, camping, hiking, and backpacking, more often than not, solo. Through these experiences, my passion for the outdoors has only intensified. So much so, I recently co-founded an outdoor adventure company. I remain no stranger to misadventures, but I always take care to pack a few more things than I think I will need, and I always carry a map. My name is Amanda, and this is my short. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing your story. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from Bridge City Revival, Publish the Quest, Boss Fight, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists or track club. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Lauren Delani Miller with additional production help from Ashley Langholz and Becca Cahal. Artwork by Walker Cahal. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Support for the Diaries comes from the good people at Patagonia. A Forest Journey is a foundational conservation book that takes readers through the important role of forests in human life. Woods, abundance, or scarcity has greatly shaped culture, demographics, economies, politics, and technology. Originally published in 1986, this updated and expanded edition emphasizes the importance of forests in the fight against climate chaos and the urgency to protect what remains of the great trees and forests of the world. Find Forest Journey now in stores and on patagonia.com books. Check it out. And support comes from Kuat Racks. When the temperature drops and the sky starts to spit flakes, it's time to throw a grip on the roof and head for the slopes. Ski season. Love it. The slide-out tray makes loading and unloading easy, with two sizes holding up to six sets of skis or four snowboards. You can go with a total crew. The grip makes heading to the mountain a party. Kuat, because you love your gear. Support for the diaries comes from Global Rescue. So I have a philosophy when it comes to bigger adventures. You plan for the best. You plan to succeed, right? But you have to acknowledge the worst case, like what could go wrong. And that's meant everything from accepting that someone might get hurt in a fall or that when you're on a 10-day canoeing trip, a two-year-old can get a wicked fever. It happens. So through the years when we've embarked on some of our bigger adventures, Becca and I have used Global Rescue to give us a little extra peace of mind. I literally used a Sharpie to put the phone number on our backcountry first aid kit. As a member of Global Rescue, you get worldwide field rescue, 24-7 emergency assistance, and evacuation services. So if something goes haywire, you can get help. They have annual and short-term memberships so that you can tailor a plan to your needs. If you sign up via the link on our website or in the show notes, you'll be supporting the diaries as well. Peace of mind, support the show, two birds, one stone. Stay safe out there.